Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no one has gone before. And welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. We made it, Brian. We made it. It's mid-season. It is. How does it how does it feel to be mid season? Uh, it, it feels great. Uh, I mean, the first thing thing I thought was like that's how you how, that's how you leave a cliffhanger. <laughs> that's how you leave a cliffhanger. Yeah, really, really good stuff. We just watched episode nine, one oh nine, as we like to call it in the biz, uh, an episode which uh, I thought was um, really edge of your seat stuff. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was literally unsure. You know, they killed off. Uh, you know, so many key characters already on the show. I didn't know who was going to live or die, who was going to go into a, a spore coma, <laughs> what was going to explode. <laughs> so I was really on the edge of my seat, and I really dug it. So um, it's time to, to, to dig on our, our heels and, and do a nice recap of this. Our last recap for a couple of weeks, almost a month and a half, until season 1.5 begins. Which is January episode, 7th. January 7th, which, Brian, I'm going to be on the Star Trek cruise with um, Jonathan Frakes, who was the director of episode 110. So I don't know how the heck that's going to work. But you know what? We have a long time to figure out the (laughs) the specifics of that. Um, Brian, this episode had the name uh, Into the Forest I Go. Yes. And I think it's time I want to bring something up. You know how I know the names of these episodes? Uh, How is that? I look them up on Wikipedia. <laughs> no, nowhere in the show does it actually have the name printed. Unlike, uh, unlike Star Trek's of of the past, you know, on TNG, you would have the you would have the uh, cold open, then you would have the theme and the cool graphics, and then you would go away and get a commercial, and then you would come back, and it would say, you know, best of both worlds, part one. Uh, with this, you don't know until you look on Wikipedia the next day. Is that is that I right? Wonder if it's, is I that... wonder if it's written in the credits anywhere, like the, the closing credits, maybe. Who can wait until the by the closing yeah, credits? True. I'm scooping my scooping my brains off the carpet because the show's <laughs> been so good. So, anyway, the new episode is called "Into the Forest I Go," which is something that um, Stamets mumbles to uh to uh dr uh dr hugh colber in his in his myceum delirium when he's jumping like a lunatic so uh which i don't know if it means how to interpret it but uh anyway that's that's the episode's name and that's my commentary on the titles on this one but there's a lot going on brian first of all i think it's time to say the following thing global note about star trek discovery and what my number one takeaway is so far are you ready for this right i'm ready here it comes jason isaacs is one of the greatest actors working today yes i completely agree (laughs) i have fired a photon torpedo at hollywood it's not it's not that jason isaacs has been lingering in uh you know he's not been unemployed his whole career he is not a he is not a young man. He is a handsome man. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but he is in, according to Wikipedia, which I've now revealed to be the, the backbone of this, this podcast, <laughs> where I get all of my information. Jason Isaacs is a, is a man 54 years of age. Uh, he is in the, in, the, in the shank of his career. Um, and he has been working 
nonstop for decades uh, uh, in both uh, theater and film and television. Uh, for example, uh, in the early 1990s, he played the role of Lewis in the British premiere of um, both parts of Angels in America, which is a big deal if you're a theater guy. Um, he's been uh, probably, you know, most famous and, and the thing that, you know, is going to put his kids through school and, and bought him a nice house was he was, of course, in most, if not all, of the Harry Potter films yes. uh, as Draco Malfoy's father, Lucius. And although he was not the star, he was a pivotal guy who would show up. But you look back, the dude was in the movie Dragonheart in 1996. He was in Event Horizon. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that movie rules. He uh, Event Horizon was directed by a fellow by the name of Paul W.S. Anderson. Not Paul Thomas Anderson, Paul W.S. Anderson. And he's been in a lot of Paul W.S. Anderson's films. Now, <laughs> a lot of those those movies are terrible, but he's kind of Paul W.S. Anderson's you know, guy. Like, he shows up in, in a lot of stuff. He was in Black Hawk Down. He was in the movie. No, no, he was one of the voice. He does a lot of voice acting too. He was Sinestro in one of the DC animated films. Oh, that's uh, right. He was yeah. he was Lex Luthor in something else, and he was Admiral oh, wow. Zhao. He was, he was also Russell Gould in a, one of the Batman animated movies yeah. Under the Red Hood. This, this guy is all over the place, and he was Admiral Zhao in Avatar: The Last Airbender. Oh. Which is a great show. I love that show. And in a lot of other stuff. So I guess what I'm saying is um, it's been, you know, sometimes there are actors who show up and they just kind of, you don't, maybe it's my fault, but like they just kind of recede into the into the fabric of the of the show or the movie and you don't really realize how, how pivotal they are. And it takes, now you watch the OA, right? Yes. And actually his performance in that is very comparable to this. He's uh Although he's he's more of a villainous character, it's very uh, like nuanced and kind of gray, and you yeah. kind of like you don't really know where to think of it uh, in terms of good or bad. I guess. Yeah, I gotta watch the OA. I haven't watched the OA. It it, um, it, it isn't for everybody. Like, but something about it grabbed me, and I, I very much enjoyed it. And I I've, uh, I have a few friends that I got to watch it, and you know they enjoyed it too. So we had some discussions about it. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that one because I like the woman who who wrote it. Uh, Britt Marlin. Yes. She made a great science fiction movie called Sound of My Voice, which I really, really like. So, uh, so Jason Isaacs, um, and I think I mentioned this uh, two episodes ago. It kind of has like a John Hamm thing for me, you know, like he can, he has a real presence, um, and you like him and you hate him simultaneously. Yes, he can be a little <laughs> bit funny, um, but in this episode, he really. You know, he blasts it open. He he is the hero. He stands up to the the admiral, um, the 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 Vulcan, who uh, his name admiral I can't remember. Terrell, I think it is, um, which is funny because there's a Captain Terrell in in Star Trek, uh, Wrath of, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, but it's a different Terrell because that, that Terrell was a human and not a not a Vulcan. Um, he stands up to him and he saves the Povins. He says, "I'm not running away from a fight," and then he seems like he's. Uh, you know, altruistic, and but then you really don't know. And then the moment when he finds out Admiral Cornwell has been saved, he's kind of like, oh, great, you know? So there's a lot going on. And I just can't, I think he has been the surprise for me because I had my, um, nothing against the other actors. They're all great. Anthony Rapps, Nicole Martin-Green, they're all terrific. But when the show's marketing was gearing up, it was all about, um, Michael Burnham and Sonequa, and she's wonderful, but she's been, and this is not a criticism, this is just an observation, it's been kind of like, she hasn't evolved past episode three. She's been that, I am low, and everything's been taken away from me, and it's been just sort of like, she's been on an incline. So I guess she has evolved, but she has not changed. She's been like, I'm blanked out, I'm nothing, and I'm just going to be virtuous and true and eventually rise back into something. And along the way, she's done more missions, she started to have feelings uh, with uh, with Ash Tyler, but we're kind of with her, so it's not like we're learning stuff about her, you know? Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, no, yes. It, it, it seems like a, a, a very um, well-plotted course with Burnham, but I feel like... Uh, with Lorca, it's like ups and downs all over the place, and we just don't yeah. know where he's coming from or where he's going. Exactly. And I find him to be the most interesting character in the show by far. I know, I know. I I kind of do too, and 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 it's pretty neat. And the one thing particular 
And, you know, let's just assume that everybody listening to this now has watched the episode. There was the moment when he shows Stamets the project he's been working on, which is that each of these spore jumps, every time they ride the mycelium network of highways or whatever it is, (laughs) uh, it graphs out on some MacGuffin display portals to various parallel universes. It's a little vague, but I'll buy it. And he shows it to Stamets, and Stamets says, and I even wrote the line down, because I thought it was kind of the way he said it was nice. Uh, uh, I didn't know you cared. Ca- yeah, Captain, I didn't know you cared. And Stamets is look, and, and what he's trying to do is convince Stamets to put his life at risk yes. to, save the, to, to stop the war and go into a spore drive hell. And he, Stamets is really touched by Lorca's... Um, desire for exploration, for learning, for science, and also, uh, you know, to you know, to to know what Stamets wants out of life. He knows that Stamets is the explorer, and Stamets buys it. Stamets is like my God, Lorca, whom I've known as a battle weary warrior captain, is actually altruistic and good. And when I was watching it, I was with Stamets. I'm like, wow, Lorca is good guy Lorca Lorca is the shit I was watching this with my wife Brian yeah and she had the exact opposite take well which means she's probably right because she said "Ooh, that guy is a snake he knows just what buttons to push yeah I had that same impression and what really gave it away for me is that he kind of uh I think this happens a few minutes later but he's kind of willing to risk Stamets's life but the second they decide that the only possible way to get around this battle is to send an away mission, and he just doesn't yeah. want to risk Burnham, I found that very, oh. very interesting. And I'm like, you know what? He's he's got this all. He's got everybody figured out, and he knows how to get get what he wants. So, oh wait, wait, wait. Let's back that up for a second. Sure. You, you're you're because I I didn't know what to make of the fact that he didn't want to send Burnham. I just thought he didn't trust her, or he just thought she wasn't good enough. He didn't want to risk Burnham. Correct. Well, I mean, one of the uh, the preview beforehand, uh, they show that when they go to, um, I, I guess they're going to save Sarek. Um, yeah, said, he's like, he you're tells my... Tyler, no, he tells Tyler, make sure you bring her back alive or don't come back. He's very protective of her. So oh, I, I, I'm not, oh. I still haven't quite figured out why. I mean, well, you, you actually suggest this a few episodes back. You think he wants to keep her around in case things go south. So oh, he can that's throw right. her under the bus. That's right. I did say that. He, she is his eternal get out of jail free card. That is true. That could be. But, what you know, it is. we're. But you know what? I reject this. I reject my wife, and I reject you. I <laughs> think you're being too negative, and I think you need to take you need to take a cue from Stamets, and maybe give Lorca the benefit of the doubt. Or is that being really, really naive? Um. Well. Uh, again, maybe my maybe my my guess my from a few episodes ago is a little on the extreme side, but yeah. but still, it's you have Stamets who is the only person that can operate this spore drive. They don't know how to replicate it. Yeah, and he's willing to risk his life for for this, but he won't risk Burnham's life, and he's he's shown right. that, that several times. So that, I'm very all right, curious. That does, you're a hundred percent right, and that does uh, a flag on the play. That requires further review. I will yes. give you that. However, I do think, though, and this is great in the story, um, he's willing to risk Stamets's life uh, because he's all in. He it, now he puts a line in the sand. He says, "Now we will end the Klingon War. We're going to save the Pavins, which is nice. You know, he went, and that was, you know, Burnham wants that. Tyler wants that. Saru certainly wants that." Save the pop. First of all, why is Saru back on the bridge when he practically committed mutiny fifteen minutes ago? <laughs> well, they did give That's- you they did give you that little uh, not like yeah. let me talk to them. I, I understand their yeah. peace loving ways. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. I'll, I'll let that slide. But he's uh, he's gonna save the Pavins. Actually, wait, wait, hold on, hold on here. L- let's go back yes. one more second. Yeah, I I even think that his desire to save the Pavins is also part of a manipulation of the entire crew, really. He's trying to get them on his side. It's like, hey, we need to save these people. He probably more so just wants to fight the Klingons and end the war, but he doesn't well, necessarily care. Maybe, maybe. I mean, he he is an ends justifies the means guy, but you know, I think 
let's put it this way. If he has the option of fighting the Klingons sort of in open space versus saving the Klingons and also rescuing a planet of innocent life forms, why wouldn't he want to rescue the innocent? I life feel like forms? there I'm, there have been there have been situations in previous episodes where he has uh oh I guess this was when it was uh involving Admiral Cornwell where they wouldn't go do the rescue mission. Right. I guess right. he was saving his own skin in that regard, but um, yeah, no, he well, you know, let's yes. And I have a theory about Cornwall for the very last scene of the of the show. But okay. I, I'm going to give him the benefit. I, here I am. I'm like I'm like I'm like uh, Lorca's defense attorney. I'm going to give him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt on that one. So he he acts like the he acts like a true Kirk era captain. We put a we put the stand here. We're going to save the Povins. We're going to figure out how to bust through their rudimentary cloaking device through a very wacky means of jumping all over the place like a crazy person and he's going to risk stamets now this is something that's different though i don't think i've ever seen a star trek captain or that would risk his uh crew member's life so obviously like there have been captains that have stood aside when somebody else rose from the ranks and said no, let me. I will, you know, uh, you know, I will ride into danger. You know, I've seen Spock do that a hundred times, and Kirk like allows it. And you know, there are other other examples of that. But in this case, Stam, you know, he doesn't order Stamets to go into what could very well be suicide, but he comes pretty close. You know, he he kind of twists his arm into doing it. Yeah, and he definitely encourages him. And I think that's that, something you see. Yeah, it's it's very new. You see that in other war movies, like you see that in, um, uh, you see that in K nineteen, The Widowmaker. <laughs> for those who ever <laughs> saw that, where he orders, like, there's only one dude who can go and fix the whatever it is that's underwater, and he knows the guy's gonna drown, but he sends him anyhow and makes him go. And you see that in like a. In like uh, Lee Marvin in the Big Red One when they're on Normandy Beach and they've got to lay this, this uh, you know they've got to run across a part of the beach and you know he every everybody he calls to do it he goes you uh, you know Thompson get up here run over there and Thompson gets killed and he goes you McMurray run over there and <laughs> and he's you know just ordering people to their doom but not on Star Trek you know so that was kind of some heavy stuff yeah. Um, but, you know, Stamets is, you know, that's why my wife was saying he knows how to push his buttons because Stamets technically volunteers for it, but he kind of got talked into it. Yeah, he absolutely did. I, I think, I think, well, as we said, he just, he knows how to, to get, he knows what pushes people's buttons. So, right, right. But, you know, also as a general in war, you know, this is a moral question. Is is what Lorca did right? Let's. I mean, we don't know if Stamets lives or dies because at the end, he's everything goes kablooey. But let's say Stamets did die. But let's which say I, which I was questioning this episode. Believe it or not, I mean the whole um, the, the 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 into the forest thing, uh, and when he mentions that in in the kind of the stupor of the the many jumps. I thought yeah. like, oh, you know what? He's gonna go. He's gonna go into the light, and, and that's gonna be it. Yeah, I didn't know either. I don't think he's dead yet. I think that no. when we get to the next episode, he's gonna be spazzed out in some way. But um, uh, you know, we saw uh, we saw uh, Georgiou die. We saw um, what's her name, the first security chief die. Uh, you know, it's not been. We saw Snailhead get killed in, on the on the uh, on yeah. the Shenzhou. So. Um, Let's say, uh, let's say he did do it though. If he ended the Klingon War by sacrificing his own man, it's not exactly the most noble way to go. But you know, these are these are trying times. War is hell. You know, it's not yeah. uh, it's not easy to know. So anyway, I thought it was interesting that they went that route. But um, you know, we definitely got to see Lorca be the hero, and then we absolutely get to see Michael Burnham be the hero when. Um, they're on the, the sarcophagus ship. They find at the Admiral. She can't move. Tyler gets PTSD'd out when he sees. And I was already Lurel. questioning this, uh, questioning what, what this was about. Uh, this second oh, he's I saw totally Vok. He's oh, so well, Vok. Yes. We, there's a scene <laughs> later that, yes, 100%. Yes. He's the Vokiest Vok there ever Vok. He's 100,000% Vok. I mean, but, 
Yeah, no, he flipped out, so he's down, and Michael Burnham is like, I will go. And she zooms off into battle. Now, why the hell did they have to put those two... I mean, it's a TV show, I know. But they got to put one homing beacon somewhere, like, you know, in a broom closet, where it's fine. But then they have to put the other one on the bridge? And and how and how no one saw her is it's beyond ridiculous. me. <laughs> well, I mean, they did establish, granted, they were very lucky. Michael Burnham and company are very lucky in that the bridge of the sarcophagus ship is crazy. Like, had it been the bridge of any other ship anywhere in Star Trek... She would have walked onto the bridge, and they'd be like, who are you? What are yeah. you doing here? Like, no, signal, uh, no signal masker is going to uh, protect well, you from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's that. But, I mean, could you just imagine if it was the bridge of Picard's ship, <laughs> and, like, the turbo lift opens, and, like, you know, that nice kind of, like, beige hotel room-looking bridge <laughs> with the sleek... Uh, bar of, of of tactical displays behind her, and just like this this like young Klingon with a giant suitcase shows up and be like, "Hello, I'm gonna place this here." Don't mind me. Luckily, don't mind me. Don't mind me. Luckily, luckily, the sarcophagus ship looks different, and they established that since episode one. So the writers get a pass, and uh, she can hide under the thing. Which is nice. Now, I did watch this episode twice because I didn't, at first, didn't know what the hell they were doing. And then I realized that the reason she had, the, the reason that the Klingons didn't just leave when the Discovery is doing their spore jumps is because Burnham was on the bridge and started shooting people. Yes. That's why they didn't go anywhere because the captain was occupied. Had she not done that, what like was that always part of the plan, or were they kind of winging it? That's what I ask you. Well, they I don't think they uh, they counted on the fact that well maybe that's why they left them there because I mean to me in order to save their lives I would have as soon as they uncloaked I would have beamed the, the 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 crew back, but they they left them on there until after the jumps were complete, so maybe that was part of it, but it well, wasn't it wasn't explicitly explicitly said. I will say to you that the. The, the basic plan, Lorca's plan, is a little bit confusing, and I tried to map it out. So l- let, me, let me run this by you and tell me if you agree. Step one is they got to get on the ship. That's easy enough done. They got to show up, wave hello, and when they're uncloaked, they can be And before the shields go up. With, yeah, before the shields go up and have their, you know, their, their signals masked as Klingon. Then they got to place the two things and call home. So... Even though they call home, the ship is already cloaked. So, and they have to, the ship has to be cloaked for them to get the vectors of every angle. That's why they were jumping around, was to take ostensibly snapshots with their sensors of every angle of the ship. Why they had to do it by jumping and not just by doing figure eights in space, I don't exactly know. But... I guess they had to pinpoint pinpoint certain sections, well, and it was. I, 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 the, the, what I took out of it was that um, earlier on they said how the spore drive works is that it needs like some massive amount of computing power. So I figured that, uh, and th- so they need an organic component to it, like like a like a brain or the the tardigrade or whatever. Um, I think that the the jumps were allowing them to use that um, power processing yeah. power to, to kind of speed up the process because they said it would take days or hours or something like that right but how i don't know how the jumping yeah, that, at that point uh, well <laughs> using the spore drive and activating it I, I don't know maybe just they were kind of running the equations through stamets in a way i suppose that's how i uh, rationalized it oh i could yeah. totally be wrong okay. and but that no, was that's just good you know i had a friend i had a friend who was a screenwriter and he once told me that um, as long as you, the writer, knows what's going on and it's kind of locked in and you leave just enough breadcrumbs for the audience to basically follow along, it's kind of okay. Um, like, it's all right if the show is one step ahead of you. You just kind of have to trust. So I, I think your theory, like, yeah, there's got to be some reason. But at first it was like, yeah, we need five days to process it, but not if we can jump around. They didn't connect the dots for us, but I like I like your answer there. That somehow spore jumping 
means a compression of time to compute this information. But there still was the question of how did they, you know, while they're doing their jumps, and they did 133 of them, you would think that the sarcophagus ship would just be like, what the hell's going on? This ship's gone crazy. We're out of here. And zoom away. And luckily they didn't because Burnham caused a distraction. Yeah. And never did Burnham say, I'm going to go on the ship and fight hand-to-hand combat with uh, Cole. That is true, yeah. It seemed kind of um, as if that just uh, happened spontaneously. I mean, but luckily it did because it saved the day. But I feel like they did not have a contingency plan for that. But I guess that's why you need Specialist Burnham on board because she's going to save the day, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's Loker's reasoning. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly. So that is my note, which, um, you know, if if uh, you know, if 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 our friends uh, Ted Sullivan and our other producers of the show want to help us out with an email and explain, but I don't really need it explained. Like it still works as a viewer, like as as a Star Trek maniac who wants to sort of connect every line. I didn't quite get it, but you know what? Maybe it'll be explained in the next episode when they do a post-mortem, you know, of they yeah. explain the Battle of Pavo <laughs> and how it won, because they're going to have time, because they're trapped in this netherworld. But anyway, I just thought that that was kind of neat. I, I enjoyed the whole away mission. Like I said, I was on the edge of my seat. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. What really surprised me, what looked like the death of, uh, of Cole, right? It looks like he's done. Yes, I agree. But... It's always but I happened to just watch literally. Actually, wait, the wait day. a minute. No, he didn't he didn't die. Um did, she, I it's remember her jumping away. Up. She jumped no, away. Lorel. Lorel Lorel jumped into the beam. Lorel's on, on the on the Discovery. No, 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 but you're talking about Cole. On the ship the the sarcophagus ship explodes. It looks like everybody. Oh gets yes, uh, I forgot the ship exploded. Oh my god! <laughs> well, not only did it explode, it exploded in the coolest way. Number one, uh, Lorca puts in his eye drops because he knows it's going to be bright. Yeah, which is such a badass move. It was pretty bad. He, he's like, I want to watch this. I don't want to shield my eyes because I've got sensitive eyes. He puts on his on his eye drops so he can watch the ship explode, fire, and the photons torpedo blow it up. And then he turns around to face Burnham coming off the turbo lift, and he's walking away from the explosion. <laughs> so it's like the first time it's ever happened in, in Star Trek. <laughs> it's the first time it ever happened in space. Yeah. People walk away from explosions in, you know, Steven Seagal movies all the time. <laughs> but Jason Isaacs, ladies and gentlemen, is the first person ever to walk away from an explosion in space. So <laughs> by all accounts, it looks like Cole dies. I and mean, he even shouts, no, when the photon torpedoes are coming in. However, we don't see his body burn to a crisp. And as it happened, just when I watched this episode yesterday for the first time earlier in the day... I rewatched with my nephew, who had never seen Galaxy Quest. Okay. Galaxy Quest, of course, an old uh, by by the great director Dean Pariso, one of the friends of this podcast, one of our earliest guests. Uh, he'd never seen Galaxy Quest, and Galaxy Quest ends almost the same way that <laughs> <laughs> that the fight with Saris, the evil Vorgon or whatever he is, uh, the the Saris's ship blows up a lot like the sarcophagus ship does. And the death of Saris looks a lot like the death of Cole. And you think that Saris dies in the explosion, but then he shows up 
on the Galaxy Quest ship for one final battle because you don't actually see his body explode. And th- just the way that the explosion looked and the way that the, the, the Saris on the ship and the way that Cole looked, the way it was framed, it's almost... I should take I should do screenshots of both and put them up online because they, <laughs> they do look kind of similar. And I was thinking of, hey, I just saw this on Galaxy Quest. So that makes me think that maybe Cole isn't dead or at least Cole may be dead in that universe... But who knows what we're going to see in season 1.5. Well, the I mean, obviously in Galaxy Quest, uh, Saris makes, you know, he, he makes a move very, very immediately. Um, yes. Clearly some time passed between the battle on the on the Discovery and when they made that extra jump. So, right. I mean, uh, he either A, could be hiding or B, could have transported to the planet, um, which was not an option for Saris at the time because I don't think there's any right. planets nearby. Right, right. So we'll see. But, um, you know, the point I'm making is after the battle, uh, again, Lorca kind of convinces in a passive aggressive way Stamets to do one last jump. Now, here's my theory. All right, everybody sit down. Because we know that Lorca does not, he's not too keen on what Admiral Corn, Cornwell, well, wall has to say about him you know it's not like he wants to kill her but he didn't go out of his way to rescue her either she is now off the ship uh right they said that her medical shuttle bay has reached starbase 46 she's in surgery and she's expected to live and make a full recovery now it's time for the uh discovery to make his way to starbase 46 and they could warp there but there are klingons that are cloaked in the neighborhood it's not the safest ride and Stamus is like, oh, I'll do a jump. And Lorca's like, no, 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 no. There's no need. And he's <laughs> like, yes, I'll do my jump. And then he does the whole spiel about it. it's my final jump. And after this, I want to be studied by doctors. And they want to learn about my this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, but Lorca... N- not, yeah, go not, ahead. To, not to forget also, he they said they were giving him Lorca a medal. And he said, no, give it to Stamets to kind of you know further butter his yeah, wheels. Yeah, butters him up. Yeah, butters him <laughs> up. Uh, so Stamets and Lorca are the only two people that have been discussing the fact that spore technology, spore jumping, has given them some sort of insight into parallel universes, mirror universes, if you will. So Lorca probably wants to hide for a while. He's ashamed of what he did. He knows that his number's up with Cornwall and... Who knows what he wants? Who knows? He's he's also got his own PTSD from his battles, you know? That's true. That's a running theme in this show. My theory is this. As well anyway, so the last the ending the, the last beat of the show is they do their final black alert and then the ship as you see kind of does something kooky. It makes like a double when it spins around. There's a mirror image if you will. And then they go, "Where have we gone? We don't know." And there's never been something like this. They just jumped 133 times with no problem. Why would this jump be an issue? And also, why would Stamets kind of know, right? He's given the vibe that he knows something's up, you know? Well, I mean... it's very... You go ahead. Um, clearly, this this is all Lorca's doing. I mean, you see him punching the, some coordinates... That looks like, uh, you know, similar to where the text on the screen when they were doing the other jumps before. Yeah. I mean, he clearly hit some coordinates in that had to do with that experiment that was further furthered by the, the jumps from earlier. So he used that data and he put that in there so he could run away. So you you uh, you you think what I think that yeah. the big the big cliffhanger is not just a random no it is error. absolutely by Lorca's design. Oh, okay. Here I was thinking I was going to have to convince you with my crazy oh, God, no, no, absolutely. Theory, but you agree. <laughs> oh, okay, good. So we both agree. Because I, I think that that's what happened. I, I think that it was not just a rudimentary problem because it would make no sense. They've been jumping all day. At, but then, so why is Stamets acts really weird as if he knows it's going to happen? I think it's because he has insight into you know prop i don't know he has now that that vibe i didn't i didn't pick up on that um I, he seemed he seemed completely uh 
clues to that. I mean, like, he's, oh, like you, you okay. said. I was thinking, all right, that's a good, well, I was interpreting it as he was being very fatalistic. You you think that maybe he was just being romantic because he knew it was, he was, they were going to soon be back at the star base and they were going yeah, to retire. Exactly. He was basically yeah. going to go be studied and he was talking to uh, Dr. Dr. Hugh and, uh, and the, how they were going to go visit the moon or the, some some opera there that, that yeah, he's going to go sit gonna through. Go, I mean, yeah. I don't think that he would have done that um, knowing that that was Lorca's intention. Uh, I mean, he, he's absolutely going to figure it out, be the first one to figure ah. it out, but um, I, I don't believe he knew it doing that last jump. Okay. All right. Open to interpretation. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I was getting a vibe. I mean, maybe I was just getting the vibe like this is, this is all ending too happily. Something bad's got to happen. Maybe that's just what it was. But uh, uh, yeah. So you think? So it was not just a regular error. I love the way they showed the mirror. How it? Because you know, the first time you ever see a mirror episode in TOS was when the ship like would f- do flippy floppy. Uh, it was facing right, then facing left, and it went back, 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 and then it toggled away. This I thought was really cool the way they visualized it. Um, but yeah, there's somewhere else. And there's dead, um, there's debris, they're in a debris field. Somebody says, is this Klingon, uh, are these Klingon, sh- sh- uh, Klingon debris? And they don't know. Yeah, I, I, then, I was wondering if, if the, uh, I mean, I saw a lot of red in that debris. I was, I was curious if, if you had any insight into uh, any, anything with that. Red? I know that uh, Vulcan science ships have like a rust color. Hmm. Could have been destroyed Vulcan ships, but... Um, like a brown, but I don't know. Either way, it's pretty cool. And the the other thing, if Cole is dead, 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 it is interesting how like yes, we've had a full arc, we've had the Klingon arc, and it ended, and now we have a next arc. You know where, like now it's a real, yeah, you know, like the the first part of the show is over. You know, it really feels like this is the next chapter. Now they're in mystery land i think probably the mirror universe yes um they're in the mirror universe or somewhere and that will be the next x amount of episodes is getting out of the mirror universe and then we'll do the next adventure you know but there are some which is great i mean it's that feels like a real show to me you know like it's 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 a real way to start the next part of the of the of the show um but there are some lingering things which is uh tyler and Vok, and uh, you were the first to float it, and I thought you were crazy, <laughs> but I believe it now. Vok is a Mincherian candidate. He does not know yeah. that he has been given false memories, and uh, you know that was somewhat triggered by seeing Lorel. He, um, <clears throat> you know, because the number, you know, from the beginning, the numbers never added up about how long that he was there. Yes, but I really do think now that he's Vok. We, you know, some people in the comments think that I'm nuts, but Brian, you knew, uh, you knew from the get go. You knew what time it was. Too many, uh, too, too many years of watching uh, plot twists on Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Game of Thrones. It, 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 Cole, Cole is called Drago. You know, yeah. he was the big bad guy for the first half of the first season, and now he's gone. Yeah, you know. Cuts, that's Cole. And uh, Kenneth Mitchell, the actor, if he never comes back, uh, he can still be the Call Drago of the show and, and come to conventions. But, Brian, I say it again. You knew what time it was. I did know what time it was. And you know why? I did. <laughs> Listeners of the show should know that Movement Watches is the exclusive sponsor these days of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. And Movement Watches are sleek, handsome, beautiful, and very nicely and reasonably priced watches that were, uh, they look like a million bucks, but they cost under a hundred. And if you go to mvmt.com slash engage, you get 15% off and free shipping. And uh, you're going to say, what do I need with a watch? I got, if I want to know what time it is, I can look at my phone. And I say, no, that's, that's a loser's way to know what time it is. Your phone is in your pocket. You're, you're wearing jeans. You're sitting down. By the time you know what time it is, you've been digging around. You know, by the time you get there, it's a different time. It takes so long. These uh, movement watches were designed by two guys. I forget their names. Brian, you remember their names? I don't remember their names. Let's call them uh, uh, Cole and Takuvma. Sure. So Cole, Cole and Takuvma. Wait a minute, but uh, Cole and Takuvma didn't get along that well. <laughs> yes, but in but they actually shared a sim. You know, it's funny. Cole and Takuvma 
share a very sim, uh, similar uh, uh, political theory. They are pro, uh, you know, pro Klingonists, even if they don't see eye to eye. True, and they, but they you're want right. This, they, they want the same goal. Let's call them Vak and Takuvma. Right? There we Vak, go. Of, yeah. of course, one ended up dead, and the other one is disguised <laughs> as a human. But nevertheless, Vak and Takuvma were two young Klingons who were right out of college, and they had entry-level jobs at fancy places, and they wanted to look slick. They wanted to look like they impressed the boss. But they didn't have money to go to a department store and spend $500 on a stinking watch. So they started making their own. And that's what these are. These are great. Uh, they're like in disguise. They're like having a pattern... Uh, pattern simulator for your watch you know it's like you can be lieutenant uh tyler even though you're really vok on the inside uh <laughs> they're they're handsome looking and uh like i say they're about 95 bucks but they look really sleek check out the designs yourself don't just listen to me you go to uh, mvmt.com slash engage and you know you'll see how nice they look and then you'll find out that you know with the shipping and everything you're looking at under 100 bucks maybe 100 if you get one of the end of the line ones they're maybe 105 110 but by and large they're around 100 bucks and i think you're gonna like them so mvmt movement watches is the way to go and brian like i said earlier you clearly had your uh your eye on you had knew what time it was because you called tyler being uh, a uh, a vok of a um like sleeper cell and i think uh that's what it is because he's experiencing PTSD of the certainly just kind of the overall uh, sexual abuse and torture. But there's an in the imagery, there's like a wash of imagery and it involves a lot of like drills. Yeah, he saw and, some saws and stuff. Yeah. And his he doesn't have scars on his no, face. You know, they, that, that was the biggest thing. I mean, if you're really getting tortured, I mean, there's no way they're going to leave you completely intact, like physically like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, who knows what's going on under his shirt, but his he's got a be- Shazad Latif is a beautiful man, and he's a very <laughs> he is a beautiful, handsome gent, and he does not look like a guy who's had drills in his face like they have in those dream sequences. So, yeah. and then of course the the kind of the, the closest thing we have to a smoking gun is he returns to the brig, and Laurel says. I forget the exact line, but something like soon or... Well, know, she really says, just... I'll never let any, anything happen to you or let them take you or something. But then she says soon at the end. She's like, soon. She does say or, soon, yeah. You know, something like just just hang out there. So it's, it's pretty... Um, it's pretty weird. I mean, the cover story kind of works. It could just be, if you want to take it all on face value, uh, that Tyler was there for seven months... And she was his torturer, even though the, the, the numbers don't add up because she was on the sarcophagus ship floating in space, eating garbage for a while. But And it could just be that she fell in love with him and has some sort of weird reverse, uh, reverse Stockholm Syndrome affection for him. That could be the case, but I don't think so because we've seen her be very manipulative with the Admiral. Yes. I mean, we really don't know what her true intentions are. We suspect it is to, we suspect that she has an allegiance to Takuvma. And yes. if that is the case, then she would want to have a Vok slash Tyler in there on Discovery. Now, the other thing is the assumption that I've had up until now because I never bought your Manchurian candidate uh, theory, was that Vok would never agree to it. What I'm thinking now is that Vok didn't agree to it, and she manipulated him. She brought him to the matriarchs of yeah. Mokai and said, we're going to change your face, but don't worry. You know, We're going to give you a cover story, but it's not going to be that big of a deal. And then you know, they put him under anesthesia or whatever. Well, no anesthesia because the face is getting torn apart. But the, you know, they put him in the surgery room, and she's like, ha, 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 screw you, pal. I'm going to wipe your memory and load you full of engrams like a, you know, like a replicant, and here you go. Um, could be, because who well, knows? Lorel is not necessarily a trustworthy person. I don't know. I I, I think that they, uh, in the time they that Lorel and Vox spent on the sarcophagus ship, they kind of developed a, a a relationship of sorts, and uh, and I believe that. I mean, the fact that she knows that that that's Vox under there is why uh, she sought out Tyler in a uh, sexual regard. 
Um, so I mean, I think she's very, very clearly knows what she's doing with, with everything, and, and I, she may, I don't necessarily know if she's trying to pull one over on him, but I, I think that she may legitimately care about him. Uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe could go either um, way. It really could go either way. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I mean, it's I also, possible. I also find Lavelle to be a very interesting character too, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah, everything's wild. I mean, it's good. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of unanswered questions, which I think is really great. Um, but I must give you credit, Brian. You, 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 you. All signs point to your theory being correct. And if somebody wants to go back and be a uh, historian of this of this podcast, <laughs> one can find somewhere in the notes in the historical records me saying to you, "Pish posh, Brian. You don't know what you speak of." <laughs> And and now it looks like I'm eating my words. It looks like you were right. So now the, um, the real question is, is that how does it resolve itself? Does does it resolve itself with where Vok wakes up and he's like, okay, yep, I'm with you, Laurel. Let's go take over the ship. Or well, is he, or I, is he, is he going to fight it and try to stay as Tyler based on his uh, his romance with uh, Burnham? Yeah. Oh, that's definitely what's going to happen. He's gonna he's gonna wake up. Listen to me. That's definitely what's going to happen. But what I think will happen <laughs> is when the awakening happens, and they'll probably have a Klingon name for it. You are experiencing plach, plach. <laughs> when he experiences whatever, the old memory of Vak will reemerge, but it will not subsume everything he's experienced since the transformation. So he's going to remember everything he's done. Um, and one of the things he did was fall in love with uh, Burnham. Yeah. And he's not going to want to go back. Isn't that what Dark Matter, the sh- sci-fi show Dark Matter is about? I haven't watched it, but I read the comic that it was based on. I read it like the first X amount of issues. Have you I, watched Dark Matter at all? I have not, I've not seen the show, no, but I, I, I've heard of it, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah, Dark Matter is a recently canceled sci-fi show that has a, a bit of a cult following. And they say, unfortunately, that it just cut off right in the middle. Like, you know, oh, it's that's one of those. Terrible. One of those tragedies where they're like in the middle of, of, of a great arc and then it's like pulled the plug. But I read the first, uh, let's say, three or four comics. I think it was a Dark Horse or maybe it was, um, I guess it was Dark Horse Comics that did it. Um, maybe it was one of the other ones. What's the one that, um, Image, is that what it's called? Image Comics? Image, IDW, Dark Horse. Uh, those are the... It was yeah. It was it wasn't IDW, but it was either Image or, or Dark Horse, and it was really cool. <clears throat> and I don't remember it too well, but I I you know they all wake up with amnesia, and then they discover that they're bad, right? And it's like oh, you shit, know what? I might have seen the pilot of that show actually. Now that you mentioned that, yeah. Um. Anyway, so uh, I think that's the road that they'll go with this. Although maybe oh, they won't because that's the right. cliche. Dark Horse Comics. Dark Horse comics. Yeah. Dark matter, dark horse. A lot of darkness. Um, I think that maybe that won't be the way they're going. I mean, look back at the last episode uh, on Pavo where I was – you're watching it going, oh, Saru is going to become good once the blue light be- uh, bugs leave him. And, you know, and, and, you know, Burnaby says, Saru, this is not you. And he goes, no, it is me. Finally, I'm free. And he's not possessed, you know. They yeah. did a switcheroo. So maybe they'll do a switcheroo here. Well, but. I, I feel like I'm, I'm reminded of. Uh, I hope I'm not spoiling this for anybody, but have you ever watched um, Agents of Shield? I uh, watched the uh, no. Okay, so so <laughs> I I'm, I'm going to spoil season bad. one a little bit here. It, yeah. it, it, the first season was was a little rocky, but towards the end of it, once uh, the Winter Soldier movie came out, it got pretty good. And yeah. they had they had a character on that show that was you know with the team the whole time and everything like that. And then after that flip, you find out that he was a double agent the entire time and was completely aware oh. of it. And they committed to it, and he stayed a bad guy for for the series. And I was always impressed wow. by that. So, yeah. I, um, you know, maybe they, they will follow. Because you don't see that very often. You usually see them kind of have the change of heart on right. most TV kinda shows. Right, kind of what we're expecting. You know what we do the most badass thing for Discovery to do is to never show Vok again. Yeah. It's like is like he never gets mentioned, and Tyler is Tyler, and we've been wasting our breath this whole time, <laughs> and just Tyler is Tyler, yeah, and we and and Vok is like, and then maybe, maybe a long while from now, so, uh, Lorel somebody mentions Vok, and Lorel's like, yes, he is on the the moon of Matri- matriarch, and uh, <laughs> one of these days I got to go back there, and then like he cut to that. 
you cut to the the matriarchs of Mokai and like Vok is just there like playing solitaire, just like, <laughs> hey, we're hello, I'm still here. What's going on? Uh, yeah, that well, would be. Anyway. That, you know what? I I'd be totally into that. I really would. <laughs> I'm gonna make a note. I'm gonna send an email to uh, my friends. Uh, I'm going to send it to info at Star Trek Discovery CBS and send that to the producers <laughs> and tell them to do that. Um, other little notes I had, uh, and I it's, like I mentioned, I watched this episode twice and I didn't really catch it the first time. Doctor Culver is screaming about uh, Stamets's white matter counts in his temporal lobe. What the hell kind of techno babble is that? That's I fantastic. Have no idea. I just, what is white I just matter? I never heard of that. <laughs> it's so cool. Uh, but like it was the type of thing you don't even hear the first time. It's like his white matter counts and his temporal lobe. Like, good for you. This episode was written, by the way. Um, I met uh, one of the two women who wrote it, Erica Leopold and Bowie Young Kim. And I, I, I met Bowie in briefly. I met her very, very briefly in Las Vegas. But it was a very warm meeting, and she was just the bee's knees. Uh, she was just. Uh, I got she she was part of the um how do you say uh the costume contest pre-judging because in Las Vegas they have so many awesome people that come in costumes that there needs to be a uh you know they need to reduce it down to 25 or 30 per category best or else you know the, yeah or yeah, the best the best and if they didn't do that the the, co- the costume contest would last all day so she was part of the pre-judging and at the time brian as you know i like to get dressed up myself because i moderate the uh the um costume contest and for the past few years i've had uh john paladin who's very well known in the uh in the scene uh con scene he's been there for years and years and years doing special effects makeup and so one year he made me a Klingon and one year he made me an Andorian and this year I was a um a Cheron or Bele or Lokai which is the half black half white face from the original series season three and and I was also like wearing a dopey suit so I come out of my makeup (laughs) and I wander into the kind of holding area where they're doing the pre-judging and I it was Bowie and one or two other people I forget who else it was um it might have been Terry Farrell might have been involved. Um, but anyway, I was just watching her watch the characters, and she was, like, so thrilled. I think it was her first convention. And she's relatively young. Um, and she was just overjoyed and really into the detail and knew, like, a lot of the deep-cut stuff. I mean, some of these costumes are like, you know, I'm in episode season four, episode three of Voyager for two seconds, and I am a blah. And she knew a lot of it. And what she didn't know is she didn't try to fake, and she was really detail-oriented and just really cool. And then, you know, so we talked for two minutes, but, like, I got to watch her uh, interact with the fans. And, you know, at the time, they didn't know who the hell she was. You know, this episode hadn't come out yet. But anyway, that's just my way of saying that I am in her corner because she seemed really cool. Um, Her partner, uh, Erica, um, I haven't met, so I have no opinion of her, but I'm sure she's very nice. Um, Okay, so uh, (laughs) what is the the next little note I had was – uh yeah i think it was the white matter was something that was funny and burnham being a badass everybody comes home and then the drops in the eyes was i think my favorite part of the whole episode yeah, that was, as you said very badass yeah yeah so that's i think what it's gonna be so you know we've got now officially a half season done we've got a story arc done the klingon war is basically over as far as i'm concerned they blew up the mothership they know how to crack the code of the rudimentary cloaking device, and uh, they're they're probably gonna they're probably uh, the Federation's probably gonna break. Uh, they're probably gonna you know uh, blow up maybe four or five more ships, and then the Klingons will surrender, and that's that. Um, but you know what? We're not gonna see it because we're gonna be trapped in mystery universe, and that also means who the hell knows what this next half season is gonna be about? Yeah. I have one idea. You ready for this? Sure. What's to say? And this is, I have no evidence of this whatsoever. Nothing. But wouldn't it be amazing? Would it not be amazing if Michael Burnham, oh, and speaking of closing out the arc, she got Giorgio's badge back. Yes. I Redemption. I forgot to mention that. Redemption yeah. for Giorgio. I wanted her to walk over to Saru and hand it to him so badly, but she didn't do that oh, yet. Oh, yeah. Why didn't she do that? Maybe she will in the next episode. 
No, she should have done it then. <gasps> Brian, make them change that. That would have been so much. That would have that would have brought a tear to my eye. Yes, it would have. You're right. Well, here's my theory. We saw Giorgio's badge in this one. What about in episode ten? We see Mirror Universe. Giorgio. Oh, and that would be a great <laughs> way to bring back uh, Michelle Yeoh. It would be great. It would be great to bring her back, and it would be super great if uh, Burnham and Saru had to fight the evil version of their mentor. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yep. I mean, the yep. other thing I keep thinking about, too, is is if, um, as we've mentioned, you know, there is no prior knowledge of Discovery in any other Star Trek series because they hadn't created it yet. But, you yeah. know, and we had even floated this early on in the show, is that what if they go to another universe and they don't come back? And that's why we don't know about it. It so certainly I, would be rather, it would be tidy, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be very tidy, but it's also kind of like a little bit too much like Voyager, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, um, it would be. It would be. Uh, but I was thinking that, too. It's like, well, there you go. Part of it was like when they did that, I, I the last shot had me very, I was like kind of all over the place. I'm like, I'm like, first of all, I was like, they killed, I'm like, they killed Cole? What the F? And they're like, Stamets is now like tripping out. He took like a thousand doses and he's just like twitching on the floor. What's going on there? But he's not dead because I didn't want him to die. By the way, we didn't mention finally the, the uh, Stamets and, uh, Colbert kiss yes which was very nice because that was that you know was a was a boundary that hadn't happened and the first time you see them as 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 uh partners uh brushing their teeth which some argue was even more intimate and they didn't kiss it was like hey I thought they were gonna kiss but all right they didn't and now they finally saved it and they did it nice when it finally happened it felt very uh very real and very organic and it was like a high pressure moment and i was with them and i uh, you know you're invested in their relationship they you work know, together they you wanted you felt nervous for for both of them you know on so the same was, note I, I i yes i agree that felt very much like a high point but at the same time uh to go back a little with the the ptsd scenes with tyler and laurel oh yeah, um, yeah i mean that was a little, a little more probably the most graphic uh scene like that in any star trek I, is it fair to say that yes and I'm, I'm pretty terms, sure I saw some some partially nude uh, Klingon parts there as well. <laughs> I, I would, uh, yes, uh, the, it was a little risque, and it's not meant to be titillating at all either. It's very yeah. uh, upsetting. Uh, so it is probably that scene is the most um, graphic in every sense of the word. Uh, you know, some some you know viewer discretion is advised, not because so much of the nudity, just sort of the the upsetting nature of what's going on in that scene. Yeah, you know, but I, I felt well, the, those two things actually very much mirrored them, you know, thematically. Uh, yeah, the, because there 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 was something groundbreaking in a in a very negative way, and there was something groundbreaking in a very positive way. You know, yes. there was there was this scene of of I guess rape is the word to call it. It was it was he was being raped by her. Yeah. And uh he was very upset remembering it and 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 then there's a moment of tenderness and care uh between two individuals who happen to be of the same gender, which is something that some people in our society do not accept and they can go screw themselves. So uh yeah, that's right. It was it was kind of uh putting them side by side I imagine was no uh, no coincidence, you know, yeah. that was uh, something uh, thematically really neat. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot going on at the end of this episode. And, you know, you have Tyler remembering this horrible thing. Also, the implication, I don't think that Tyler and Michael Burnham were uh, intimate with one another, but they do they do sleep on the couch together, you know, yes. in their clothes. So I don't think they were physically intimate, but I think that they were, uh, They have their bond has grown exponentially you know in a matter of time so it's going to be uh you know they really are a pair at this point so that's that's a whole thing going on Stamets's eyes are are glazed over oh and, yeah i forgot about that uh, yeah he's, he's looking like a lunatic and then uh then they don't know where they are and then they pull out i think i think saru might have the last line he goes i do not know where we are and then they pull out of the window and they go through the vastness of space and part of me was like I was in such a daze that I'm like, what the F are we going to see? And I'm like, ah, we're going to see the old Enterprise. Like, we're going to see 1966 
uh, James T. Kirk with the velour shirts. Like I had just had my brain was just like firing. I was like I was like stamets on a mycelium spore bender. I didn't know what I was gonna think. And uh, for a minute, I'm like, what are we going to see? We're going to like, they're going to be at Deep Space Nine. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of crazy shit's going to happen. And then it just ended. I'm like, all right, calm down, calm down, <laughs> calm down. They're just in another place and we got to wait a few weeks. But the ending really had me amped, you know, in a way. Absolutely. That's exciting because, you know, I'm watching this show uh, as, as, as a borderline 10 levels removed insider. I know a little bit about what's happening but not enough. Uh, but this was a moment where I was totally not thinking about this from a critique or, you know, a podcaster's point of view. I was just in the scene, in yeah, the moment. In, in the so, moment and very excited, yes. Yeah. So to that end, hats off to everybody, to, to Bowie, Young Kim, and, and Erica Leopold, and the director whose name was... Oh, I had it written down. I don't know. John Q. Smith and whomever <laughs> and all the producers and the entire cast. You, you did it. You know, you resurrected this property in nine hours. We went from having nothing to getting us to this point where we are now, you know, God knows where in the timeline. Uh, and uh, I'm in it. You know, I care about these characters and it's a really big deal. And with all sorts of obstacles, you know, business obstacles, you're on a streaming service that nobody has and you got to pay for it. And there's still commercials. Good luck getting people to sign up. You know, you by the way, you have the one of the most famous and reputable executive producers running the show and he's going to write the first two seasons, uh, first two episodes. Oh, but guess what? He's gone now and you got to yep. start over. Good luck. You know, oh, and everybody's watching. Oh, and and let's not forget, we're in the middle of a lawsuit with a with a fan film that's trying to monkey up the works, <laughs> and it's very visible. And in all the trades, and in not even the trades, you know, regular news outlets like BuzzFeed, but you can't comment because you're not allowed to go on the record because it's an active lawsuit. So that entire article that uh, my colleague. Uh, um, Adam uh, Vary, who I uh, admire a great deal and did a great amount of work on, there are quotes night and day from the other side, but nobody from CBS was allowed to discuss it because they had a gag order on them. So good luck getting your show going. Uh, they overcame those obstacles, you know, much like Michael Burnham herself, Brian, <laughs> who was considered the mutineer. And sentenced to a year in prison. A year in prison. A lifetime, lifetime in prison. In prison. <laughs> a lifetime in prison. And then on a shuttlecraft where the pilot was killed. And, you know, were it not for the tractor beam that saved them. Still, somehow, she persevered. She found her place on the new ship. And she rose to heroic stature. Saving the day. Saving the Admiral. Defeating the Klingons. Cracking the code of the rudimentary cloaking device, that in itself is a microcosm, I say, of what the producers, writers, directors, and stars of Star Trek Discovery have accomplished <laughs> in a mere eight or nine weeks. I say a round of applause. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I would clap, but I'm holding a microphone, so. <laughs> yeah, same here, same here. Well... That's exciting. So listen, uh, we take a few weeks off, and then we have, uh, and then we come back. But in the interim, we got a great show lined up for next week. Can we give away who the guest is? I say we absolutely should. I say we should because we don't have that many people that listen all the way to the end of the show. <laughs> uh, we recorded an episode last week with Ted Sullivan, the uh, one of the uh, big movers and shakers of Discovery. Um, we had only watched up to episode eight, so we couldn't discuss episode nine. But uh, we, we don't really get into the nitty-gritty of each episode. We just talk about Star Trek in general with Ted Sullivan. So that episode will air in a week's time. And then we've got some other stuff lined up. And uh, then next thing you know, it'll be 2018. So with that, Brian, any last words on, uh, on this? Um, yes. I, I wish I would have thought of this earlier, but uh, I wanted to mention with the whole Vok and Tyler thing is that how I read numerous articles this week about how uh, – uh, Shazad Latif and I think even Jason Isaacs were dodging questions about uh, have you ever met Javad Iqbal? <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. Good for them. Um, yeah. Good for them. Yeah. 
Well, uh, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? We'll know eventually, but who knows for now? All right. So, you know what? I think it's time to wrap it up because uh, for more reasons uh, than you can imagine, including the fact that I really got to take a pee. So, Brian, I want to say thank you once again, and thank you for mixing and making sure the levels are nice. And um, listeners, thank you for being there. We did it nine episodes of recaps in a row. Uh, with um, by and large uh, we got them to you without much <laughs> hassle <laughs> oh if we could tell you the behind the scenes stories but uh, we got them to you and now we're excited to take a few weeks off and then dive back in so until then live long and prosper This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.